the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. This is God's new covenant, and there is a cutting. It's the sacrifice of Christ. It's the shedding of Christ's blood. It's as if the Father passes through the bloodied body of Christ as walking the path to make covenant with you and me. You and I didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We're not part of making the covenant. God initiates it. God pursues us with it. It's His divine love and mercy that He's trying to pour out to us. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Genesis. The only way you and I can have fellowship with God is by the cutting of the new covenant by Jesus' blood. There is no way for man to be reconciled with God without the shedding of blood. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching through Genesis, He'll be explaining the parallels between the Old Testament sacrificial system and how it points to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus was referred to by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the perfect atoning sacrifice for us. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message entitled, God is a Covenant God. Understanding covenant is best understood when you see God as Father who wants to express His love, mercy, and grace with people specifically and in general in terms of humanity. Because He makes precious promises. It is a pact that He enters into. We don't make it. We're not a part of it only in the sense that we join it through faith. But God initiates it. God sets the terms of the covenant. God pursues us. That's His heart as a loving Father who wants to express His divine love, mercy, and grace towards us. Bible scholars will differ as to how many covenants in the Old Testament there actually are, but most agree that there's five major Old Testament covenants. I'm not going to go through all these. We're going to park at number three. We're going to look at the covenant with Abraham today. But generally speaking, most Bible scholars make room for God making a covenant with Adam, then number two with Noah, number three with Abraham, number four with Moses, and then number five with David. Now, again, the word covenant appears 292 times in the Bible, and actually as it relates to Adam, we see in in the context that God makes covenant with Adam, and Hosea the prophet, Hosea 6-7, says that the Israelites broke covenant with God 
in the same way that Adam broke covenant with God. So Hosea uses the word, but the actual word covenant is not found in relation to Adam in the Genesis story. The first time you see the word covenant is with Noah, and it's Genesis 6.18. That's the first time you see the word covenant in the Bible, Genesis 6.18. This is what it says. God says to Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. So he announces this covenant with Noah and then he establishes the covenant after the flood, Genesis 9, 11, and then he makes a sign of the covenant in Genesis 9, 13. Now the covenant that God makes with Noah, again, it's not predicated on Noah's righteousness, on Noah's goodness, that Noah did anything to warrant this. God himself determined to take all 10 steps towards Noah and really to the human race when he promised in Genesis 9, never again will I destroy the world with a global flood. That was his covenant. God made it. It wasn't anything that Noah made. God made it. God determined it. God set the parameters of the, of the covenant. And he said, I will never again. This is my promise, God says. This is my pact with the human race And he speaks it unto and through Noah. I will never again destroy the human race by a worldwide flood. And then as a lasting sign to commemorate this covenant, Genesis 9.13 tells us that God gave a sign to commemorate the covenant of never destroying the world again with a flood. And that sign was what? The rainbow. That's what God determined to give. Here's a rainbow. This will always be a reminder to you that I'm faithful to my word. Nobody ever did anything to make the covenant. God made it. It was a unilateral, unconditional covenant God made with humanity. Now, the word covenant in the Hebrew is berith, B-E-R-I-Y-T-H, berith. And it literally means to cut. That's what covenant means, to cut. And the reason why that word is chosen by God to communicate this pact or promise that he often makes is because most... Most of the Old Testament covenants that God makes involves some aspect of the shedding of blood. It involves some aspect of cutting or blood sacrifice. And that's really what we're seeing here in Genesis 15 when God makes this covenant with Abraham. Because here's this scene, and it's rather a dramatic scene here, where the Lord instructs Abraham to get specific animals and to fillet them, cut them in half. Notice again, let me read it with you in chapter 15. Uh, In verse 9, the Lord says to Abram, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half, and that's probably only because they were too small to cut in half. And then it says in verse 11, Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now, here's what begins to happen here. God wants to enter into covenant with Abram, so he instructs Abram, I want you to take these animals, and God is specific, I want you to cut them in half, and I want you to lay their halves on opposite sides with a path in the middle. Now, this seems a little bizarre, but we need to understand what is going on here. This is, if you will, the signature to the covenant. This is deeper and more profound than a contract. This is a unilateral decision where God is going to reach out to Abram. He's going to make promises to Abram. It's going to affect the human race. And God's going to do this unilaterally and unconditionally. And what he asks Abram to do is cut these animals, put them in half, and make a path. And then it tells us in verse 17, 
that when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, hold on to that, and I'll explain that in a moment. But here's the deal. Here's what's happening. And this typically became, this scene here in chapter 15, became the model for other similar covenants throughout Scripture, particularly even between people. You can go later and read Jeremiah 34, 18, where it talks about the same thing. And here's what they would do, and here's why they would do it. They'd cut these animals in half, put them off to the side, and then form a path. And if people, talking in general, if people made a covenant between each other, they would then, each of the parties would walk between the halves on this path. And as they did, people would basically say something to this effect. May it be done unto me what has been done to these animals if I do not make good on my word. That's what they would do. That's the way they would make covenant with each other. It was that serious. This is a blood covenant. So you, you'd make a deal with someone, a covenant agreement. You'd walk between these halves, and you'd begin to just say, may it be done unto me what's done to these animals if I am not true to my word, if I don't fulfill my end of this agreement. And that's how they would make these kind of serious, if you will, blood oaths, blood pacts. Now, notice in the story here of Genesis 15 that only God walks the path not Abram. And God chooses to represent himself in the form of what it tells us again there in verse 17, a smoking pot and a blazing torch. Smoking pot and a blazing torch. Smoking pot? Yeah, not that kind. All right. Some of you just went off to college. Come on back. Stop that. Smoking pot is in like a cauldron, all right, and a blazing torch. Now, why would God choose to reveal himself in this way? Well, I mean, God can reveal himself in any different way he wants, but these things represent him. Smoke and fire often represented him through the Bible. I remember through the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, God covered them with a, pillar, a cloud by day, kind of a hazy smoke screen from the burning sun of the desert, and a pillar of fire at night. And God appears to Moses in a burning bush. So smoke and fire, the Shekinah glory, the, the mist of God, and then, and then the fire, those are two symbols that he sometimes chooses to to um, reveal himself uh, in, in those ways. And what's happening here is he appears by representation of these elements, the, the cauldron and the blazing torch, and these things pass through between the halves. So in essence, what's happening here is God is walking the path, not Abram. This is God's decision to reach Abram with his divine love, mercy, and grace. And he's going to make some very precious promises to Abram, which affects the human race. And what are the two promises? Well, primarily, the promises God makes are in relation to a people and a place, a people and a place. He says to Abram, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He takes Abram outside. He says, go look up into the sky. Count them if you can. Now, scientists, we've tried to do that. We've actually counted and chronicled 30,000 stars. But there's hundreds of billions of stars that we just haven't chronicled. And in essence, what God is saying is, your descendants will be so numerous. It's just going to be, you know, unfathomable what, what I'm going to do through you, Abram. Abram is now in his 90s. He's an old man. He's never had any kids. This is hard for him to believe. That's why he thinks at first Eliezer, his servant, will probably be his heir. Because he doesn't have any kids. God says, no, I'm going to make covenant with you that you're going to have a descendant. He speaks of Isaac. And through Isaac, all nations will be blessed. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Messiah eventually comes from this line. And all nations will be blessed. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He speaks in particular of the Jewish race. 
I don't know how many of you have ever thought of Abraham as Jewish, but you need to understand, Abraham was not Jewish. There were no Jews. Abraham was a pagan living in Babylon, and God pulled him out of Babylon, brought him to the promised land, and chose that through his seed would come the Jewish race. Abraham is the progenitor of the Jewish race, but he himself was a pagan Gentile. It isn't until really Genesis 17 when he circumcises himself with a flint knife that he really becomes, if you will, Jewish by identity. But the Jewish nation comes from his seed, and God promises that. And then in addition to a people, God says, I'm going to promise you a place. Because if God's going to give birth to a whole nation, he's going to have to have a place for them to live. And notice in verse 18 where God promises the Jews can live. He says, from the river of Egypt, meaning the Nile, all the way to the Euphrates. You ever looked at a map? That's a big chunk of land. That's 300,000 square miles. That's how much God originally intended for the Jews to occupy. You know how much Israel occupies today? Not 300,000 square miles, but about 8,100 square miles. That's it. That's it. So that's why when somebody gets all up in my grill about, you know, the the Jewish peace talks with Israel and, and the Palestinians, and they say to me, you know... Really, what the, what, the, what the Israelis need to do is they need to give up land. If they just give up land, the West Bank, give up Gaza Strip, give up land, and then they'll have peace. That's why I get so bothered, because I'm just like, do you, have you ever read the Bible? Do you know that God wanted them originally to have 300,000 square miles? They never occupied that much. Today, Israel, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Syria, uh, Iraq, uh, Jordan, Yemen, all of those countries take up the area that God says was originally entitled to the Jews. They occupy less than 3%, the Jews do, less than 3% of what God originally intended for them to have. Don't tell me they need to give up more land. They don't need to give up more land. They were originally given much more than they occupy now. And this is what God promised. And then he made a sign with Abram that Abram would be a covenant people. Now notice again. God initiates all of this. It's not like Abram sitting there and God says, you know what, you are just such a righteous dude. I am going to really make some great promises for you. You, are, you just amazed me, Abraham. You are just an incredible guy. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. It's none of that. God just looks at Abram like he looks at the rest of us, fallen, sinful. We talked about it last week. He's got problems with a lot, or two weeks ago. We talked about he's got problems with lying. He's got problems with being a little self-centered. Okay, but what God does here is he reaches out to those who are the unlovely, who are the unrighteous. Because God decides he's going to pursue, he's going to initiate, he's going to make covenant. And what he wants of Abram is, if you want to believe by faith, you can join me in this covenant. All you have to do is believe by faith. That's why Genesis 15, 6, such a powerful verse, repeated four times in the New Testament, that Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Because by faith, that's all he had to do was accept the covenant. God's terms, God's initiative, God's pursuit. And God says, here, if you accept it, will be the sign of the covenant in your flesh. Go to Genesis 17. The sign of the covenant will be circumcision. In verse 9 of chapter 17, then God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Notice that. That's the sign of the covenant. He says, now, Abraham's 99 years old at this point. And God's like, all right, you really serious about following me? Oh, yes, God. Oh, yeah. He's 99. Let me get the voice. Oh, yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> you really serious? You want, to, you, you want to do this? Oh, yeah, count me in. 
and believe God. He believed God. He's credited as righteous. All right, you're serious about it. Oh, yeah, man, I believe in you. I believe in you. Let's do this. God says, all right, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a ragged flint knife. I want you to circumcise yourself and all the males in your household. What? The Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine there's a little bit of dialogue that goes unrecorded right here. Hey, man, let me get this straight. You want me to do what? You want me to cut where? Man, can we do, can we do this differently, Lord? How about I just cut my toenails? Can we do that? Can you imagine this? This takes some serious commitment, my friend. You're ready to believe God? You're going to have to go all out for this. This is serious business. Don't read this story and think, oh, well, yeah, he circumcised himself. This is serious. Let me, let me just tell you. This is how serious. Can you imagine at the end of a church service if I said to you, all right, now, guys, let me just talk to the guys for just a minute. If you don't mind, guys, just let me have your attention, please. You really want to be serious about God, my friend? We're going to have to do a few things after the service. Won't take too long. I had a little bit of coffee this morning, so have a, but here's the thing. I mean, for goodness sakes, you'd be like, what? Are you serious? So don't read this story and go, oh, yeah, well, that was no big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Thank God, though, we're under the new covenant. Galatians 5, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value, but only Faith expressing itself through love. I'm into love. Amen. <laughs> but now here's why God required circumcision. Have you ever looked at the Bible and gone, yeah, man, there's a lot of talk about circumcision. Why in the world would God want that? Here's really the two reasons. Number one, because he wanted them always to remember, make no concession for the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. What I'm going to do is a divine work. It has nothing to do with your fleshly abilities. The second thing circumcision was always to communicate to the Jews in particular was that they were to put a knife to the place of reproduction to always be reminded that they were children of the promise and that they were to reproduce children of the promise. They belong to God and God is our father and we are to reproduce children after God. Those are the reasons. Those are the reasons. Now, let me bring this home. Here we are talking about this one particular covenant of five major Old Testament covenants. But then we need to understand the significance of covenant today in particular. Most of you know, you you got your Bibles on your laps. Most of you know that your Bibles are divided, of course, into Old Testament, New Testament. It's Genesis to Malachi. It's Old Testament. It's Matthew to Revelation. It's New Testament. But, But really, the term testament is covenant. Your Bible is about Old Covenant, New Covenant. That's what it's about. Well, what is the New Covenant? Well, actually, God prophesied about New Covenant through the prophet Jeremiah. Listen to what he said through Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Listen. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband for them." This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now, those words I just read from Jeremiah 31 are all word for word recorded also by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 8. God is saying, I'm making a new covenant. And no longer will people just know of me intellectually. People will know of me by their heart. They will have a heart relationship with me. Because this will be the new covenant, listen again, that I will make, God says. So the writer of Hebrews in chapter 8 records all of those words of Jeremiah 31. And then in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, the writer says, For this reason, the new covenant, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. This is God's new covenant. And there is a cutting. It's the sacrifice of Christ. It's the shedding of Christ's blood. It's as if the Father passes through the bloodied body of Christ as walking the path to make covenant with you and me. You and I didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We're not part of making the covenant. God initiates it. God pursues us with it. It's His divine love and mercy that He's trying to pour out to us. You don't need to take five steps and meet God halfway. He's taken the full ten. It's His pursuit of us. This is the new covenant, which is why Jesus in Luke twenty-two twenty, when he lifted up the cup at the last supper, said, this cup represents my blood of the new covenant. He knew that his life and his sacrifice was going to be the covenant that supersedes all the previous ones, that everything in terms of covenant fulfilled in Christ, because God's desire is to connect with relationship to all of us. But some of you have this opinion, again, that God is sitting back waiting for you to get your act together, or God wants you to take uh, five steps, meet him in the middle, and then he's going to show you his favor. The one thing that separates Christianity from all other world religions, every other world religion teaches you that you have to do something to get God's favor or to gain his, his, his love. It's all a very works-oriented system. How can I make God happy with me? That's what every other world religion teaches. Not Christianity. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is God has already done everything for you. What do I have to do for God? God's done it all. Now, all God wants is for you, like Abram, to enter the covenant just by joining it through faith. That's it. You don't have to do anything. God is right in here. He's done it all. He sacrificed his son. God has given his son Jesus to be that blood sacrifice, the signature, if you will, on the covenant. He says, I love you. I die for you. I shed my blood for you. I have given you everything. I stand ready to forgive you and to offer you heaven all because you just simply believe and receive. What do I have to do? Just accept it. That's it. Well, you mean I don't have to jump through some hoops and I don't have to go through some certain calisthenics in order? No. God's done it all. He's a covenant God. He initiates it. He pursues you. It's his desire to reach you with his love and his grace and his mercy. That's the covenant God. Psalm 23 is often a psalm we quote at funerals, but I love the way it ends because it's, it's much more than a funeral psalm. Psalm 23 ends, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those words, follow me, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It's actually a military term in the Hebrew, and it means to pursue me like it's war. But in a good sense, this is what God's really doing. Surely God's goodness and mercy is pursuing me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because God has been pursuing me 
with His mercy, His love, His grace. All I can say for those of you who are far from Him, He's near to you right now. All He wants of you is by faith to believe Him and to receive His precious promises. That's it. He's a covenant God. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. To learn more about this radio ministry, please visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc where you can download today's teaching or subscribe to our podcast. At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you'll also find information about all of our ministries, links to our Facebook page, Twitter feed, and more. We can be reached via email at info at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's info at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. When you contact us, please let us know how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. On the next edition of Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary will continue taking us through the book of Genesis. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.